Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're with us in worship this morning. I want to start this morning with a little bit of an announcement, just in case. You can come in a little closer if you want. It's five days till Christmas. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. Just take it all in for a minute. I don't know if you've decorated your house and the gifts are under the tree and, and everyone is getting that festive spirit or not. But uh, it's a time of anticipation of great joy. And I want to pause just for a second, though, too, and just acknowledge the fact that in the time that we're in right now, living in one of the worst pandemics of our globe's history, that it might be hard to find joy in the moment today. Um, so I want to just take a second and just offer a prayer for everyone um, that has been affected in any way, shape, or form by the pandemic. Would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you as your dearly loved children, and we ask just a special measure of your grace and mercy and healing on our world and our nation and on our people. Father, I specifically, specifically want to lift up anyone who has been affected personally and emotionally by this pandemic and by this horrible illness. May there be peace where there is none, and may we find joy where it is lacking. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So given that state of our reality, I still want to try to offer an opportunity this morning for us to find joy in the expectation of what we celebrate in the next five days. It actually, it's all about the gifts. It's all about the gifts we give and the gift that we've been given. If you'll indulge me for a second, just close your eyes. You're six years old. You've been waiting for Christmas since last Christmas. You made your list. Maybe you sent it to Santa. Maybe you just gave it to mom and trusted that she would get him the info. You are getting so excited. You're on day 20 of your advent calendar and your siblings have eaten half of the chocolate out of that advent calendar. But every morning, it's still an excitement to open that next window and to see what's going on. You've seen the gifts that have been wrapped and put underneath your tree. It drives you crazy to go downstairs and look at all those gifts under the tree. You've already checked, double-checked, and triple-checked which ones are yours by looking at the tags to make sure your name is well represented. You even have shaken them. You've measured them up. You have a pretty good idea of maybe what you think some of them are, but you are totally consumed by the gifts. And really the only difference in that six-year-old self and those of us that are a little older or adults now is that we just kind of mask that excitement and that consumption about the gifts. Um, but that's okay. Christmas is about gifts, the gift we give and the gift that's been given to us. I want to offer three different perspectives this morning on the idea of the gift of Christmas and the anticipation of great joy that we have because we know what that gift is. I want to start with uh, Mary and Joseph. We all are familiar, I think, with the Christmas story, um, the idea that Mary is, is alone and she's visited by an angel and she's given some pretty amazing and 
shocking and exciting news that she is going to become the mother of the Messiah, of Jesus. She is excited. She's scared. She doesn't quite know how to process the whole thing. This was her response. In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, there's just an exuberance expressed from Mary that we call Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary's having a moment. You know, the angel, the news, the reality of things. And like we said, she's scared. She's nervous. She's probably a little clueless. But there's that part of her that is flattered and excited because the reality is God chose her. She's saying, God chose me. I know this is a big deal and God is faithful And this is going to be the huge gift to all mankind. But he chose to involve me in the process. She certainly had an anticipation of great joy. And so the other half of her equation is her husband Joseph. And he also was visited in a dream by an angel. And he's comforted and assured that despite what it looks like on the outside, and despite the social norms, that he's to go ahead and take her as his wife and to look forward to what's happening. And he's also given one of the biggest clues about the gift of Christ. He's reminded by the angel that his son is going to be the Messiah and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And with that statement and with that name, the proclamation comes that there's going to be a huge shift in our relationship with God and our future relationship with his son as he's given. It's going to move from far off to personal. It's going to move from corporate to individual. I think Joseph was also given a great anticipation of joy. A little later in Luke comes the next set of characters. We get a little wider perspective of the joy that is being anticipated with the knowledge that the Messiah is coming. So Elizabeth and Zechariah were the soon-to-be parents of John the Baptist. Uh, Six months or so before Jesus was born, he was born. And Zechariah gives us a clue into the nature of joy, the anticipation of joy that the whole nation of Israel for 1,700 plus years has had and is being rekindled right now. Because he gives us Zachariah's song in response to his anticipation 
of great joy. So this is Zechariah's song. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said to his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah had an anticipation of great joy, but it went so much beyond he and Elizabeth and their anticipation of joy with their own child. Let me give you the cliff notes of what Zechariah is clearly aware of, as well as all of Israel. God makes a covenant with Abraham. This covenant is unique because it is the first covenant that included God that says, it's all about me and my faithfulness and my commitment to you, and it's not dependent upon your actions in return. So he proclaims that the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, will, are becoming his people. He's got their back. He's going to watch out for them. Skip ahead a little bit. The nation of Israel becomes enslaved by Egypt. God hears their cry, and he saves them. With Moses and Aaron, he leads them out of Egypt. And for the next 50 years, he provides for them in the wilderness. Follow a little bit further. God leads them to the promised land. Moses' time is over. Joshua's time start. God helps them in all their struggles in all their battles. He remains faithful to his covenant. And the nation of Israel even starts to prosper. And they prosper to the point where they fall into some of their own experiences. They even start to enslave other people in their building and their expanding and everything else. During that time are the times of the kings of Saul, David, and Solomon. Some of the brightest days for Israel. Then as time goes on, eventually the nation of Israel falls to first the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, and they find themselves in exile. Are you seeing a, a pattern of what's happening? The nation of Israel becomes troubled, enslaved, exiled, persecuted. God comes and saves them, and then the cycle continues. Can you guess what happens next? God saves them again from exile. God tells them that through the prophets, he's going to end this cycle of them continually needing to be rescued by God, either by their actions or the actions of others that have put them in need. And he says this cycle is going to end because I'm going to send a Messiah 
Somebody that is going to save you once and for all. It was about 1,700 years between that covenant with Abraham and the birth of Jesus. So cue Jesus, the gift of God via the Messiah. That was the joy of Christmas for the nation of Israel, for Zechariah, and for all of them as they anticipated that first Christmas morning. It's a pretty big gift. It's pretty easy to see their anticipation of great joy turning into great joy. So how about us? We've had Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth and the nation of Israel and their expectations and anticipations of great joy. But what about us? Right now, today, December 20th, five days from Christmas, what is our expectation of great joy? It does have to do with the gifts, the gifts that we have under the tree that we are looking forward to giving to those that we love and care for. We're excited about the gifts that are under the tree that have our name on them. But we also need to remain holding an anticipation of what that gift of Jesus has for us as well. So I have a little Christmas confession for you. It date backs, dates back a while, but dates back to when I was in high school. And uh, mom, I know you're probably going to hear this sermon, so I apologize. But at this point, my little brother and I had become very proficient at ruining all the secrets and surprises of Christmas. We, uh, we were very skilled at peeking in closets, under beds, all the hiding places that my mom thought she had nailed down. We knew exactly where they were. We had even gotten to the point I'm ashamed to say it, but we knew how to use a razor blade and not even let you know that we'd already peeked at what that package held. Right on the scotch tape line, baby, and just cover it back up. And as fun and as exciting as we thought that was, it, it eventually kind of ruined Christmas for me. Because that Christmas morning and the expectation of great joy and surprise was kind of gone. I'd rip open the package as if I didn't know what was going on and try to act surprised and pleased that I got what I got. But I can remember the Christmas of my senior year, that changed a little bit. Because after we had ripped open the presents and had our hot chocolate and breakfast and things, and I was trying to act thankful for all the gifts that I'd been given, even though I knew exactly what I was getting days before Christmas morning. And what changed for me was my dad said, let's go back in the living room. And he pulled out another gift for me. He pulled out a brand new pair of snow skis, the ones I'd been coveting for the last year and a half. And then along with those brand new snow skis, he told me that as, as a Christmas slash graduation gift, he was going to send me with my buddies and their family to Colorado for a ski week. I was completely overwhelmed and undone by my parents' generosity, by the gift, by the skis, by the, the thoughts that were going through my head of how much fun it was going to be to fly to Colorado and go skiing and, and just tear it up. And that surprise, that thing that I wasn't anticipating, really changed Christmas for me. Really, honestly, after that senior year, I never wanted to know what I was getting again. I never wanted to, 
to even be forthcoming with what I wanted, you know, giving lists or uh, asking for things because I wanted to be surprised and I wanted to be overwhelmed like I was that morning. I want to pray that this Christmas, in five days, there will be something, whether it's something under that tree or something that happens in your life or an experience you have, that Jesus will give you that gift of overwhelming you again, if nothing but simply with his love that is unconditional and that his sacrifice that he is willing to give for us. You know, Jesus told us that he came to be with us as Emmanuel. And we could be with him and experience life with him. That was part of his gift that continues to keep giving. Maybe that's what we need to be reminded of this Christmas to give us anticipation of great joy, is that he desires to be with us. You know, there came a time in Jesus' relationship with his disciples where he said, I no longer call you disciples, but I call you friends. And what he did in that moment is he moved the expectation from duty and obedience to friendship. And that same statement applies to us as well, too. He has well moved beyond expectation and hopes of duty and obligation and obedience. He merely wants to be friends. It's a pretty good reason to have a renewed anticipation of joy in five days' time. Merry Christmas. Amen.